Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit us at unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message. I have the distinct honor to uh, introduce our guest minister today. So uh, today, can we give a warm welcome to Apostle Baron Gilfillan? It's just a, it's an honor to be here at your 60th um, birthday of the church and um, to see the journey that God's taking you through. And I did share on, on Friday night just um, um, a very, I just a heartfelt message because of the appreciation I have for this house. Um, we just took some fire from off your altar. We took your model um, Jim Feeney was, was an apostle here working in your Bible school, and uh, I read his book when I was at Fuller Seminary, and I just saw that this was the key to the global harvest, and it was, it was, it was the model from here. This was the method of turning the church into a training center, the church into a church planning center. Well, we now have 20,000 training centers in 150 countries. So we just took a little fire from off your altar and we spread it around the world. And I just kind of wanted to come back on your 60th birthday and say thank you so much. We, we didn't steal the fire. We just took a coal off it, right? We just <laughs> but um, I, did, I did share for the title of my message on Friday night. And just some, some people asked me because they, they didn't take it down properly. Um, but it was four keys from the past to unlock a tidal wave or a floodgate in the future. So four keys from the past. And basically, number one, to honor the people from the past that God used to lay down the foundations here. Number two was, I talked about the underground church in China, recognizing and using the vehicles of process from the past, the Bible schools and the things, the vehicles that God used to develop and develop the gifts and callings in the fivefold ministry here. Um, Go back to the foundational principles that built you in the past and use those as a foundation for the future and then build on the accomplishments of the past. I showed a video from Eric Liddell on the chariots of fire, how his original accomplishment, yes, was a gold medal, yes, it was a world record, but then they took it and turned it into chariots of fire. It now touched the whole world and it went into so many countries and that story became the platform upon which they then shared a whole new sphere and measure of influence into the nations of the world. And what God's done in the past, I believe, is just the basis and the platform and the accomplishments that God's already done, but it's going to be a platform for far greater things in the future. Amen? So that's just a, just a summary. Um, those of you who know us, we do have some products at the back and that know us that I, I'm passionate about, about what I call revelation teaching. Revelation teaching is not just teaching, it's material that that's transformative, and that is, um, you know, when we created our curriculum for, for this, the ISOM program, the video Bible school that we made, I brought in Jack Hayford, Joyce Meyer, John Bevere, Reinhard Bonker, T.L. Osborne. I got the best of the best of the greatest teachers in the world, and I was able to somehow supernaturally God enable me to get these guys. They taught specifically, and I had it live translated into 14 different languages. So it was English and Spanish on the platform, and then when the guy in Spanish was speaking, then you had Chinese, Russian, French, German, all the different languages of the world. And so we brought Dick Benjamin and Jim Feeney down 
to California where our, our ministry is based, and we recorded their life messages. We got five hours from Jim Feeney, five hours from Dick Benjamin, and those we placed in the heart of the curriculum so that the core philosophy from Abbott Loop and from this church here would, would proliferate into the nations of the world. So it is the heartbeat of what we are, do around the planet. And, um, and so I value those messages. They're very critical to me. Um, and I just wanted to mention, and the reason why I have such a passion for material is because it's, it, it, I read one book and it changed my life, all right? And that's just one thing. But um, this, this is, if, if I had to leave one message behind, when these teachers came down and they came to speak, they said, what do you want me to preach on? Or what do you want me to teach on? And I, I basically told all of these teachers, just about every one of them that I can remember, I said, I don't want a message you cooked up last week. I said, but if you were going to die next week, this was your last, you knew in a week's time you're going home to be with Jesus. And he had one last chance to leave a message behind that you've learned by revelation from heaven. And you had one last chance to deliver that to the global church. I want that message. And I would get a series of material that would be around that particular message. And if I had one message to leave behind, it would be conquering the sin nature. It took me 13 years to learn this message, and it deals with the thoughts of the mind. And, um, and so I just wanted to just share, uh, 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 I was at the back of our church in California, and a lady comes to me, and she hands me this little note, and she hands me like a check of like $160 or something crazy. Some, uh, and I'm saying, what are, you, what are you giving me this check for? Why are you giving me this, why are you giving me the, you know, this note? And she says, just read the note. So I just, I'll just read what she wrote here. She says, a note for Reverend Barron. I've purchased several of the CDs of Barron's called Conquering the Sin Nature. That CD has set many people I know free or on the road to freedom. One time I gave a copy to the lady who does my hair, of whom I've been ministering to for several years. Her and her husband have gone through many trials. I felt led to give Barron's CD to her for her husband. My hairdresser put the CD in the car and went home. Her 17-year-old son got in the car and started listening to the CD. He was so changed by it that he made copies for many of his friends at the Ukaipa High School and continues to use the teaching in the Christian club. He's now going to Cal Baptist University and is on fire for God, much due to the teaching from Barron. The check I provided was in part to help pay for all the burned copies of your CD. God bless you. So... <laughs> You know what, if a teenager wants to copy, you know, to get out to his friends. But the power of somebody, when you learn, get something that sets you free, something that, you know, I, I wish somebody had given me, I wish I didn't have to go through 13 years to learn what I did, but I, that's, that was the journey. Amen? Are you ready for the Word of God here? Um, I, I want to I uh, speak about the, um, the God attractions. I, I want to talk about... The elements that attract heaven into your life, attract heaven into your church, that attract heaven into your business. I'm, I'm, I want to just identify um, certain things that, that get heaven's attention in your life and that bring God's favor, that bring His, his involvement, bring Him to uh, somehow engage into what you're doing in your life. And there are certain things people think, you know, and I, I've heard this, the, the term that God's no respecter of persons. And the Bible says that God's no respecter of persons. So all of us are in an even 
playing field when it comes to God. God does not respect one person over another person. But he does respect certain elements, certain choices, certain attitudes, certain things and qualities in our lives that attract him to us. And I want to just touch on this. So can I just touch on them, just a few of them quickly today? We don't have a lot of time, but I want to just quickly go through them. Um, the first thing that I, I um, you know, uh, want to touch on is the whole area that God is a God of faith, all right? Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And, you know, um, God is somehow attracted to faith. That whenever you choose to, to believe, you choose to embrace, and you choose to put faith in him, there's something when David stood before Goliath and he faced him, and he faced him with faith, God got involved in the fight. Amen? And faith is both uh, attracts heaven, but it also, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God without him. Without faith, it doesn't say, you, you know, maybe it's, it's impossible to please God without faith. All right? So just having faith, and, you know, I'm, I was the TV producer for Reinhard Bonker. Uh, I traveled the world, Lisa, my, my wife and I both traveled the world with him. And three and a half years, he wrote um, the foreword to my book in, in this February that it just came out. And he's a spiritual father to me. And I, I remember just, you know, so many things I learned. But if there's one thing I learned from Reinhard Bonker, it was faith. That he was able to stand in front of crowds of up to in the hundreds of thousands, even over a million people, and face and speak and, and, and believe God for miraculous things to happen and stand in the face of the enemy. Now, I found that faith not only attracts heaven, it repels darkness. And I remember hearing about, before I had joined Reinhard, he, Reinhard loved tents in his early days of his ministry. He used to build these tents, and he ended up with a tent of about 10,000 people. And he pitched it in some remote African area. It's, it was in southern Africa, close to where I grew up. And he, you know... Was, was resting in the afternoon waiting for the evening crusade that was happening where people from all the surrounding villages were going to come to this crusade. 10,000 seated uh, tent that was just right there. And he was resting uh, before the, the event and people came running into, his, into pl the place he was resting and said, Reinhard, the tent is going to be destroyed. So there's a massive storm coming from the east and, and, and this thing's heading right at us. And there's no way that the tent, that we have time to pull it down, there's no way that the tent will survive this. And Reinhardt got out of bed and he ran to where the tent was. And that storm was coming, this massive storm clouds. And I mean, it was just this, this, the, this he could tell the winds building and, and this thing was heading right at the camp. And Reinhardt stood between the tent and, he, and the storm. And he spoke to the devil. And he said, devil, he said, if you destroy this tent, I will build one three times the size. And the storm stopped. And it turned and went the other direction. And then Reinhardt said to the devil, 
says, devil, I don't make any bargains with you. I'm still going to build one three times the size. And he did. He built one of 34,000 seaters, seven stories high. It had a canvas with covered like, I don't know how many football fields. And you know what? But faith frightens the devil. And as soon as he confronted and as soon as he faced the situation, when you face whatever you face with faith, God gets involved in the fight. Amen? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Jesus, and you look in the New Testament, there's two times that Jesus says, great is your faith. Both of them were not to Jewish people. They were to Gentile people. One was to the centurion who said, just speak the word, my servant will be healed. Just the moment Jesus heard that faith, he turned to his disciples and said, he said, I've not found such great faith in the whole of Israel. This person has enough faith that they believe that I just have to speak a word. And he just spoke a word and that person was healed. And the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite, who came and Jesus kind of pushes her away, maybe to test her, and says, you know, I can't take the bread and give it to the dogs, and calls her, literally calling her like a dog. And she says, Jesus, yes, but even the dogs eat the scraps under the, under the table. And Jesus says, oh, woman, great is your faith. When he hears faith, it just attracts him. It just touches him. He says, go your way, your child is healed. And so there's something about faith that attracts God into the house, tracks him into your life, tracks him into, into everything and has him get involved. And whatever you do, that's one of the reasons I love the building of your faith, which the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That the more of God's word that you put into your life, the stronger your faith becomes. Faith is not a neutral entity. You're not just born with a certain amount. The Bible says you can build your faith. You can increase your faith. You can develop your faith. And that's my passion for the Word of God, is that you develop faith. It's like a muscle. It will become stronger and stronger the more you use it. But faith will attract heaven. And faith will get God involved in whatever you do. Amen? That's the first thing that attracts God into your house, into your home, into your life. But the second thing is in that same scripture, without faith it's impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is, but also that says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That there's this degree of a pursuing of God. There's a degree of persevering with God. There is a degree of seeking, asking, knocking. God loves somebody who doesn't just say, oh, well, God, if you're there, you'll just do something. No, there's something about that when you pursue God, when you seek him, when you ask, when you persevere in something and you don't let go, that attracts heaven. And, you know, there's a great story in Mark chapter 10 of blind Bartimaeus. And this guy's blind. And, and Jesus is coming by and he just begins to cry out, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody around him just like says, you know, keep quiet. You're disturbing everybody. You're creating a scene. And they're just pushing him back. But the more they try to stop him, the more he presses in. And the more he shouts out and the more he cries. And there's something about it. The Bible says Jesus stops. Because something in heaven 
gets God's, gets God's attention when you don't quit, when you don't stop seeking, don't stop asking, don't stop knocking. And it says the Bible says Jesus stops and he says, call that person. It gets his attention. And they bring blind Bartimaeus and he says, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. This is in 10, Mark 10, 49. And the Bible says that he says, what do you want me to do? He says that I may receive my sight. Jesus said, receive it. What gets God's attention? It's not just faith, but it's perseverance. And it's, the Bible says, Jesus made these words in Matthew 7, 7, ask it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be open to you. Everyone, it doesn't say someone, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So don't quit with your faith. Amen. God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Those who pursue him, who go after him with all their heart. If you don't quit, he will manifest himself. Amen. The third thing that gets God's attention, I believe, is humility. There's many things that we have that we, don't, we have no control over in our lives. You know, it's like you, how much, you know, talent and gifts and all the things. And you, there's a lot of things you don't, have to, you don't have any control about. But humility is something you personally can control. The Bible says you can choose to humble yourself. You can choose, you know to come before God and to get on your face and to say, God, I put myself down and I exalt you. And that is a personal choice and a decision. And the Bible says if you humble yourself, you open up the gates of heaven. There's something about it that gets God's attention. The Bible says that he will not, he will respect a contrite heart. James 4, 6, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I, when I first came to the United States, and this was 1980, so I've been here, you know, it's going on 40 years now. But when I first came, I attended a church in Virginia. It was one of the holiest churches. That church laid my spiritual foundations. A very godly place. And the Jesus had been actually seen in the sanctuary eight times. And I remember the senior pastor sharing about the first encounter he had with Jesus. And he saw Jesus, and, and you know, he was describing this experience and this encounter, that he had a face-to-face -face encounter with the Son of God. And, and, he, and he was trying to share, like, what was, the, what was the quality that most, like, you know, impacted him. He saw Jesus. He said it wasn't his glory, it wasn't his power, it wasn't any of those factors. He said it was his meekness, it was his humility. Then when he looked into the eyes of Jesus, there was perfect humility, perfect meekness. And he says that he felt so corrupt inside because he felt the pride of his own heart. God is, is, is Jesus was meek. He humbled himself to the point of death. And so when we humble ourselves, the Bible says it attracts heaven. God resists the proud. He releases grace to and he sees humility. So we need to learn that and we need to grow in that. 
And I really believe that in Psalm 51, verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. There's something about coming before God, and you may feel like your life's been broken. You may feel like you're in a place of real brokenness and hurt. Let me tell you, God will not despise your heart. When you come before God with that contriteness and with that humility, it attracts heaven. He will not despise it, and it will open up his grace to you. God resists the, crowd, the proud, gives grace to the humble. So that's number three. Number four is, I want to make sure I get these in the right order here. Number four is acts of obedience, of love, and of sacrifice. Acts of obedience, of love, and of sacrifice. You know, it's... Um, I mean, Abraham and Isaac is probably the greatest example in the scriptures of this. But God respects sacrifice. And when the whole concept in the Old Testament, when, when people sacrifice something, sacrifice is not just that God wants you know, dead animals. That's not what sacrifice was ever about. It was simply taking something that's precious to you and sacrificing it into the kingdom of God. And there's something about sacrificing, no matter what it is, that touches heaven. There's something about that act of, of, of obedience. When, when Abraham was willing to take his, his, his closest, dearest possession, his son, who every promise that God ever had for his entire you know, legacy in his future was in this child. And it wasn't just any child. It wasn't one of 12. All right, this was the only one. And then God said, sacrifice him to me. And there's something about it that when Abraham laid that child on the altar, when he took out that knife and he was willing to sacrifice that child, the nearest and dearest and, cl and closest and best, when he was willing to do that, and God said, stop, when God saw that he was willing to go through with it. It was not about him ever wanting to ever hurt Isaac. It was about him testing the heart of Abraham of what he was willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says God swore. I have a whole book out there called Unlocking the Abraham Promise. And when God saw that he was willing to do that, God swore an oath in blessing, I'll bless you. I'll multiply your seed like the stars in the sand. You'll have victory over your enemies and every nation in the whole earth will be blessed. And God swore an oath that he would provide his own son and God would not stop because God would sacrifice his own son for the sin of the world. I believe the sacrifice of Abraham unlocked the sacrifice of God, of Jesus. There's something about sacrifice. You know, I was in, I was in um, Israel, and there's a great friend of mine. He's from Trinidad originally, and he lives in California. And him and his wife, you know, um, are a, just a precious couple. And we were at a, a place in Israel where they, they help people coming back from, they call it Aliyah, the, the people who come from other countries, and they come back to Israel, and, and they help these families from Russia and Ethiopia and other many nations, these Jewish people coming back to, to, to the promised land. And, you know, they, they, they shared what they were doing and they showed the videos of these families. And as my friend and his wife were there, I watched him just walk up to the front and take off a $10,000 ring. And I watched him just place it on the altar 
and placed it in the hands of these people and said, I want this to be used to help bring back these people to the promised land. Both him and his wife. And it just touched my heart. I just knew that heaven was just getting involved right there. I, the, the, the act of obedience, the act of sacrifice was, was so palpable and so real. There's something about it that attracts God's heart. The woman with the alabaster flask of fragrant oil that came to Jesus and broke that oil, probably a year's worth of wages, and washed his, her, his feet with her tears and poured that over his head and over his feet. And Jesus just talked about says, woman, your sins are forgiven. She was, a, she was a sinful person, but her sacrifice and her heart was what touched his, his heart. And the guy who's like, oh, she's a sinner. Son of the church, people want to just judge people's sin. Jesus, that, that's what, not what he looked at. He looked at her heart of, of sacrifice and said, this, what's happened here will be told for generations for all time. God put that in the scriptures to reward what she did as an act of sacrifice. Amen? Number five, right priorities attract God. We only have eight, so we, and these, we were almost at the end here. I'm just going to go through these quickly. Right priorities attract God to us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. When you set your priorities correct, you attract heaven. God says everything else will be added to you. Everything that you need, just get right priorities. Put God first and get your priorities straight. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek what God wants first and seek to living a godly, righteous life. And everything else will happen. It attracts heaven into your life and God will bless you. Amen. Prayers and giving. When, when Peter comes into the house of Cornelius, all of the Gentile world, the, everybody, who, only people at this time in book of Acts who were saved were Jews. And then now we have a Gentile. He's a centurion. And the Bible says that he's praying before God and he's a person who gives alms. He gives to the poor. He's a person who sows into the needs and, and, the, and, the, and the things of other people that are hurting. This this Gentile who doesn't know God, doesn't have a covenant with him. He doesn't think, but you know what? He prays and gives. And of all the people that God looks through the whole earth to say, who's the first Gentile I'm ever going to re reveal myself to? He looks through and he looks down and he sees the centurion. And an angel appears before him. He gets attention of heaven just because he gave and he prayed. And the Bible says that the angel spe speaks to Cornelius. It says, and when he observed the angel, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And so it says, the angel says to him, your prayers and your arms have come up as a memorial before God. Your prayers and your arms have touched heaven. They have come up as a memorial. God has seen them. God has been attracted to them. God has decided to move on your behalf. Something about that. Your prayers and your arms have come up as a memorial. And it links into this area, which is number seven. Generosity attracts God to us. You know, the widow's might. The Bible says Jesus watched how people gave into the offering. He didn't watch 
like, it wasn't about how much. It was about how they gave. Because the person who got his greatest attention out of all the people that were there, maybe a hundred people came and gave, but the one that got his attention was the widow who gave just the smallest offering, two mites, two pennies. But Jesus says that's everything she's got. It was not about how much. It was about how much of what she had that got the attention of heaven. You know, I remember being in, 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 in Virginia and, and hearing about a pastor who is actually an evangelist that had come to the church and he had, you know, had a, had a wonderful service and afterwards they went out to have a meal together and this pastor was, um, you know, they had the server from hell. Have you ever had the server from hell at the, at the restaurant? All right. They had the server from hell. I mean, she messed up every order. She did a horrendous job. They waited way, you know, hours for their food. They had, I mean, it, it just, it was a miserable experience. A horrible thing. This woman was terrible. All right. At the end of this whole thing, it came and they, they're now leaving the restaurant. And he hands the, the lady, the server, a $20 tip. And, and she turns around and she just, she hands it back and she says, I can't take that. I, I did a terrible job tonight. And he says, I know. He says, but I can see that you need the encouragement. And she broke down crying, and he led her to Christ right there on the spot. Generosity opens people's hearts. Generosity will do, do things that other things will never do. And it attracts heaven. A generous heart attracts heaven. Those are the foundations, but the, the most important one I want to get to, this is the closing one, is loyalty of heart. God searches the entire earth to find one quality. It's loyalty of heart. You know, the scripture from 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9, and the history of it is King Asa has faced an army of a million people, trusts heaven, and defeats this army of a million people. And years go by. He has a successful kingdom. But the Bible says that what happens is that a, an army comes against him again, and it's just the army of Israel. Instead of trusting God, he hires the Syrians. And the, it works. But a prophet comes to him, prophet Hanani, and he says to, to King Asa, why do you trust the king of Syria instead of trusting me? And then this, the prophet says these words to Asa. He says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And this word loyal means shalem. It means perfect, of covenant-keeping relationship. Um, it's a wholeness. It's mentioned 27 times in the Scriptures, and the meaning of it is to carry the idea of serving God with a sincere heart, a covenant-keeping heart, a single-minded and loyal devotion. It conveys the clear idea of serving God with all of your heart, with full love, loyalty, and integrity. 
a few years ago, I was in my office, and I get a phone call, and, and it comes, and my, my assistant comes in and says, Reinhard Bonker's on the telephone. Reinhard's on the phone. He wants to speak with you. She says, can I quickly speak with him first? I just want to hear his voice. <laughs> and so I said, let's just, you know, put him through, you know. And, I, and, I, and it was just like being back with Reinhard all the years that Lisa and I were with him. He was such a spiritual father to me. And he just, you know, it was just such a heart-touching call. But he says, Baron, he says, you know, I have a donor that's come, and they want to give $50,000. Now, you may think that's a lot, but we go through that in about five days. All right. But he says, this donor has asked me to recommend somebody who is worth this donation. And my heart came to you. And I want to recommend you. And I just remember the, the, the sense of reward because when I was with Reinhardt, I served him day and night with all of my heart and a full loyalty. And it was like God saying 30 years later, looking down and saying, I'm rewarding the loyalty of heart that you served this man with. This was, it, 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 it touched me so deeply. And the Bible says about loyalty, it says that Proverbs 19.22 says, loyalty makes a person attractive. There's something very attractive about a person with a loyal heart. The, probably the greatest example in Scripture is to me the story of Ruth, where Ruth, you don't know the loyalty of a person until everything goes wrong. It's great to be loyal when everything's going well. But when everything starts falling apart, all right, that's when loyalty gets really tested. And Ruth is now married into the family of, of, you know, Naomi and her husband. And in the story, you can see that the husband dies, her brother-in-law dies, and her father-in-law dies. In seven years, all the, the key men in the family, all dead. And she is now left with her mother-in-law, which is not normally a good relationship. And so, you know, the mother-in-law says to the sister-in-law, says, you know, you know, you guys just leave. Leave. Don't. I, I, my life is a disaster. Everything's going wrong in my world. Just leave. And the other sister-in-law, uh, she leaves the situation. But Naomi says, I'll not leave you. And she makes these words. She says, Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. It's, the, it's, the, oh, it's an incredible picture of loyalty. And God looked down into that foreign Gentile Moabite family and he took that woman and put her into the line of King David and into the line of the Messiah, the line of Jesus. God rewarded that loyalty because the Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to find the heart of a person who has loyalty of heart. It's the ultimate thing that attracts heaven. And it's not like God's like, it says this is the one he actually goes out looking for. Now, I was just in Japan about a, just, just a short, about 
a month and a half ago. And I just want to show you this from Japan because there is the statue of Hachiko, statue of a dog. And this is just over a minute long. And I was at the statue in the heart of downtown Tokyo. And I just want to share the story from Tokyo. Let's just watch this short video. Hi, Dr. Baron here. I'm in the heart of downtown Tokyo. Behind me is one of my most favorite statues. It's Hachiko the dog. 1923, this dog was born and it had a, a, a wonderful master. His name was Professor Yuno. He taught at the University of Tokyo. And every evening, this dog would be waiting um, when his master returned from work. And he would be here at this station and he would be waiting for his master to come. And one day, the master actually had a brain aneurysm and he died while he was at work. At five o'clock or whatever time that evening came, this dog was waiting. And the next night, and the next night, this dog came back again and again and waited at that same spot, waiting for its master to come for nine years every evening. And it so inspired, that, that, that dog inspired the statue, not just this one, but two movies and another statue that's here in, in Japan. And this dog is visited by millions and millions of people from all over the world come to take a picture. This dog has inspired loyalty of heart, has inspired faithfulness and truthfulness in the lives of millions of people. And so from the heart of downtown Tokyo, I can at least bring you um, this message and this story and that we would be inspired and that you would be inspired by this dog and this statue and this story of loyalty of heart. Amen. I just want to turn this around, and I'm sorry for the few minutes over I'm going. I just, I'm, I know I'm, I know I want to close, but I want to close properly here. Um, these same qualities that I've talked about, these eight things that attract God to you, are also what attract us to Jesus. It's what attracts us to Him. And I want to just close with this with this what reading this to you this comes from a, a, a person by the name of Charles Murray in 1967 while I was taking a class in photography at the University of Cincinnati I became acquainted with a young man named Charles Murray who was also a student at the school and training in the Summer Olympics of 1968 as a high diver Charles was very patient with me I would speak to him for hours about Jesus Christ and how he had saved me Charles was not raised in a home, but attended and attended any kind of church. So all that I had to tell him was a fascination to him. He even began to ask questions about the forgiveness of sin. Finally, the day came that I put a question to him. I asked if he had realized his need of a redeemer and if he was ready to trust Christ as his own savior. I saw his countenance fall and the guilt in his face, but his reply was a strong no. In the days that followed, he was quiet, and I often felt he was avoiding me until I got a phone call from him. I wanted to know where to look in the New Testament for some verses I had given him about salvation. I gave him the references to several passages. I asked if I could meet with him. He declined my offer and thanked me for the Scripture. I could tell that he was greatly troubled, but I did not know where he was or how to help him. Because he was training for the Olympic Games, Charles had special privileges at the university pool facilities. Sometime between 10.30 and 11 that evening, he decided to go for a swim and practice a few dives. 
It was a clear night in October and the moon was big and bright. The university pool was housed under a ceiling of glass panes. So the moon shone brightly across the top of the wall in the pool area. And Charles decided not to turn on the lights to not bring attention to his, his diving. He climbed to the highest platform to take his first dive. At that moment, the Spirit of God began to convict him of his sins. All the scriptures he had read, all the occasions of witnessing to him about Christ, about these qualities that I talked about tonight, they flooded his mind. He, he stood on the platform backwards to make his dive. He spread his arms to gather his balance. And he looked up to the wall and he saw his own shadow caused by the light of the moon. His shadow was in the shape of a cross. He could bear the burden of sin no longer. His heart broke and he sat down on the platform and he asked God to forgive him and save him. He trusted Jesus Christ 20 some feet into the air. Suddenly the lights in the pool area came on. The attendant had come to check the pool. As Charles looked down from his platform, he saw an empty pool that had been drained for repairs. He was saved by the cross. When we look into the cross, we see obedience, we see sacrifice, we see love, we see humility, we see all of the qualities I talked about that attract God into our lives are the things that Jesus demonstrated and lived in His life. And they attract us to Him. So I want every person just to close your eyes for a moment. I just want to ask if there's anybody here that you need to make a commitment to Jesus today. You need to make a decision to accept Him as Lord and Savior of your life. You want to attract God to heaven. Now is the moment that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. I'd just like the honor of praying for you. While all our eyes are closed, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But if you need to make that decision and need to give Christ and give Jesus your heart, and you need to do what this diver did in the in 30 feet up in the sky, you need to make that decision here today. Just raise your hand, and I'm just going to we're going to have a short prayer with you. But if you need to make that decision, or you need to come back to Jesus, you once served Him, but you've not been doing that, and you need to come back to Him. I'd like the privilege to pray with you. Is anybody here that needs to make that decision? Just raise up your hand. We're going to pray together. Anybody that needs to make that decision? It's between you and God. I'm going to assume that all of us have given our hearts to Jesus. But I want to just pray as we close that what we've talked about today will seal in your heart. Father, we thank you that you are no respecter of persons but you are a respecter of faith. You are a respecter of sacrifice. You are a respecter of obedience. You are a respecter of right priorities. You are a respecter of generosity. You are a respecter in every one of these areas. And Lord, I pray that we would, would humble ourselves, that we, God, would do those things which attract heaven into our lives. But most of all, God, that we would develop a loyalty of heart for you and for your kingdom and for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.